Well, good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. Happy Thanksgiving. Wasn't that wonderful food that we got to eat tonight, man? Like, phew. I was hungry. I was really hungry. I was waiting for that. Amen. So, uh, are we ready to praise the Lord? Amen. Well, let me read a scripture and we'll pray and we'll do just that. I think these guys are ready for that. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and we honor you and we, we thank you for this time and for this place and for the ability to come together and to praise, honor, and worship you. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful food that you gave us to eat tonight. Lord, it was a great Thanksgiving meal. Lord, we just thank you for... Uh, for just being our God, Lord. Tonight we just ask and pray that you would watch over all of our brothers and sisters that aren't here tonight. And Lord, give a special traveling grace to Brother Tyrone's family, Lord, as they go home. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, anoint our praise and worship team, Lord. Help them to give them the ability to get us into that place of praise and worship, Lord, that we would just be able to give you all the honor and all the glory tonight. Lord, we thank you for this time and for, for this service. We praise you, we honor you, and we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing as we bring up prayers and praises to the Lord tonight. I'm here to meet with you. Come and meet.
don't know about you, I'm glad my sins have been made white as snow. Lord, we thank you so much for that. Lord, we declare you sovereign God tonight. We believe. 
Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. sky roll up like a scroll and to see your glory from one end of the earth to the other. We thank you and we praise you, Lord.
It's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And, and what day was Thanksgiving? 
today. Today was Thanksgiving. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. The next day is Thanksgiving. Every day is Thanksgiving. And uh, the psalmist said it this way, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. It was everlasting on Thursday, on Friday, today, tomorrow, every day. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His loving kindness is everlasting. To Him alone does great wonders, for His loving kindness is everlasting. To Him who made the heavens with skill, for His loving kindness is everlasting. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, for His loving kindness is everlasting. To Him who made the great lights, for His loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule the day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon to rule the night. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Those are all good things, right? And then we get to the next verse. To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Brothers and sisters, you have a God. We have a God that watches over us and He has our backs and He knows. He knows what we need. And so as we come to Him tonight with our prayers and our thanksgiving, we come to the God who did all of those things. And when we look out and we, maybe we watch the news or we listen to the news or we see something just absolutely crazy going on in our neighborhoods. We remember who's in control. God's got it. God's got it. And we need to be thankful that He's the one that's got it and not some political leader Amen. or some somebody else who Amen. rises up and says, I can fix this. Amen. Because we have a God who is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? So we come, we come with this other verse in mind. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And he'll give you your heart's desires. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what it says. <laughs> and the peace of God, which is what your heart really desires, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we come now before His throne and we bring our supplications and our prayers, we come with thanksgiving. And we come with the promise that will walk away with peace. The thing that we desperately desire in a confused and chaos-torn world. Amen? Let's go to prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you that you watch over all of us and you order our ways. That you take and you make 
our crooked paths straight, that you expose our, our chaotic and convoluted thinking and you bring to us your hope and your joy and your peace. Even as things around us are in turmoil, Father, we know that you are working out all things together for good. Father, we bring to you those requests that have been made known tonight and the ones that are on our hearts, Lord. We, we ask for reconciliation. We, we thank you for reconciliation. We ask, Father, for, for fellowship with brothers who have been broken and who have stumbled and fallen. We ask that you would restore them and that you would bring them again into a close-knit fellowship, Lord God. We thank you for sons and daughters who are walking with you. And we ask, Father, for those who are not, we ask that you would do whatever it takes, Father, to bring them to yourself. We know that you love them and you care for them. And we just extol you for the love that you show them. We thank you, God, for the way that you have met our needs. And you've met them in a way to show us what we really need, Father, not what we want. Father, we, we give you praise for the beautiful world that you have made and that in it we can see your handiwork and we see our brothers and our sisters and we just ask that you would work in their lives as well. Thank you for your mercy and your justice. You are truly an awesome God and we bow down before you recognizing that it is your will that we seek. It is your, it is your way that will set us straight. Father, we lift up our, our family and our loved ones. We lift up our, our work acquaintances. We lift up those who appear to be our enemies, Father. And we just ask that you would bless them and that you would do, their, do your will in their lives as well. And we pray all these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. We've uh, been very much talking about thankfulness, you know, um, being said it's Thanksgiving time of the year. And uh, one of the things, one of the three things that I think is a major part of Thanksgiving, Mark talked about, and that was peace. I also believe that joy that we talk about a lot this time of year is also the second part. And the third part I think is very important, and that's love. When we have these three things and we put these three things together, we can be thankful. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, now comes a time where we prepare our hearts and minds to, to feast on the Word, and our, our brother Sekou is going to bring us a message. Let's, uh, let's uh, listen and hear what it is we need to hear tonight, all right? And before I uh, bring him in, i got a question for you. What do you call a go-go dancing pig? Shaking bacon. Oh. <laughs> 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 
We had a kosher service. No, we, we didn't even start kosher. The tray of pigskins was bigger than any other tray that was put on the counter. You can't even say kosher. I'm not even going there. Just, it just went downhill after that. Well, praise God. It's, it's, we went through a, a very good Thanksgiving dinner at uh, 30th Place. Um, I know that that was a lot of stress for the guys in the house, but we all knocked it out the ballpark. Uh, looking forward to next year. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but it was, it was good because Thanksgiving and Christmas is really hard for some of the, it's, it's hard for people who aren't even in this situation. And just adding this and the separation from family and all the different things that goes on makes this time that much more difficult. And so to be able to go and to see everybody having fun and hanging out, people in the backyard, um, people looking at the weird air conditioner on the side of the building on pallets and still trying to figure out why it's there, that was a little weird. Um, but just, you know, everybody had a good time and, and it was, it's almost like we're adapting and learning about being a new family and then just all the ins and outs that come with that and the rewards that come with that. Um, was it perfect? No, because the Cowboys were playing. But other than that, it was, it was, it, I mean, it was fantastic and it was good to see that. Um, you know, people didn't go and just kind of hide in corners or whatever. And I know it was tough for some people. It's lots of people in a small setting and, you know, some people are not used to that. But we made do and we, we worked through what we could work through and it was a blessed time. And for those that weren't there and you were with family or whatever else was going on, you know, uh, again, I'm glad that people had an opportunity. I don't know where Eric was. Uh, he was, yeah, work. Uh, but it was good to see that, and hopefully next time we'll be able to catch Eric so that he he doesn't have to get sidelined for that. But um, if you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a, a story about younger minister Seku some two decades or so ago. And um, I had this grand idea that, man, the things of God were just awesome, and it's just mighty to see God at work. You know, after years of ministry, before prison, it, it didn't click until prison why God's power is demonstrated. And just to keep it short, it's an act of love. Healing, miracles, all of that is an act of love. The power behind it is love. It's not that we get in church and we run and shout and it's like, woohoo, all right, we, we were active for God. We want to see his power like, like he's some weightlifter or something. And I come out of that circle. You know, we, you didn't have church unless somebody was running around. And you really had church if somebody was on the ceiling. And so, the, <laughs> you know, getting out of that mindset of we want to see God's power and recognizing God's power is because of his love. He doesn't want to leave you in the situation where you are. He doesn't want to leave you broken. He doesn't want to leave you unhealed. He doesn't want to leave you in dire straits. So those demonstrations of healing were based on a foundation of love. But before I got that revelation, um, I was sitting barbecuing in the, the back area of my apartment. Um, kids were running around, and, and I got this grand idea. I'm looking at the barbecue pit, and uh, it's dark outside, and I'm going, you know, lighter fluid and charcoal. I get this lighter, and I'm just going, Lord, what would happen 
if fire fell down from heaven and just lit the barbecue pit, like that would just be awesome. And so, and some of you guys are looking at me like, how dare you? Believe me, I say that to myself now, but back then it was like, Lord, we want to see fire come down from heaven. Well, be careful what you ask for because the, the revelation in my head wasn't that fire magically appeared on the altar. It was more like a comet coming towards the earth and making impact with that. And as soon as I saw that picture of a, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I will light it myself. You have given me the technology to light it. I will light it. I will not take those things lightly. Oftentimes in faith, we have to be careful with all the privilege that we have and the benefits that we have and all the goodness that God shows to us that we don't take it lightly. Isaiah chapter 6 is a somber, it begins with a somber introduction because King Isaiah died. And King Uzziah wasn't a terrible king. He's actually a fairly decent king. And when you, in, in those days in Israel and Judah, it was almost like, uh, almost kind of like our modern day politics. You never really know who you're going to get until they get there and they show themselves for who they are. So you could get a king, and, and, you're, and, and in those days you're kind of stuck with it, you get a king and you're like, all right, we got a king. Oh, this guy's terrible. And then you get another king and it's like, well, he started terrible, but at least he did right. And then you get another king. You have no idea. And Judah had a little bit better run with kings than Israel did. Israel just was terrible. <laughs> Israel's leadership was horrible. And so you had a few sprinkles of good kings and a lot of terrible ones. But in Judah, when Isaiah is... Uh, um, looking at the loss of King Uzziah, it's a national depression that is going on and a lot of angst and a lot of we just lost a solid leader. Uzziah was king for a long time. That 50 years is a long time for people who live 40, 50, 60 years at, at best. And so it was, it was a miracle for him to live that long and when he's gone, that leaves a huge void. What's next? And so there needs to be some sort of um, reconnecting, some assurance to know that even though King Isaiah is gone, God is still on the throne and things will still progress because God is ultimately the king of Israel and Judah, even though he puts under shepherds in there. So what God is doing, in a way, is showing him the revelation that the king is dead but the true king is not. And so this is an affirmation of who God is. But in this affirmation, there's a reality check. So would you all stand in honor of reading God's word? We're going to read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And I'm reading from, not the NIV, uh, the New King James. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for just your goodness. And we, not even just your goodness. We thank you for everything you are. We ask that you be with us tonight. Let us see into your word. Let us understand and grasp what you have for us. Let us not just hear it, but receive it and grow from it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I took my shoes off, so don't be surprised, just mainly because these shoes are really uncomfortable. Uh, some of it's in regards to what we're preaching on, but mainly it's because these shoes are uncomfortable, and I had forgotten how uncomfortable they were. <laughs> I haven't worn these shoes in like seven years. So, lesson learned. In this passage of Scripture, we're looking at Isaiah being taken into the throne room of God, not on earth, but in his temple. This, what we would think would be a grand and great opportunity, was a reality check for Isaiah. It was both in part awesome and terrifying. And many times we don't realize that if we're also in the throne, in the presence of God, and we realize we're in the presence of God, it is both awesome and terrifying. I guarantee you that nobody who gets a revelation and goes into heaven is going to go in there and go, Hey, Jesus, buddy, how you doing? <laughs> Not going to happen. Um, generally, you see everybody's reaction is that they fall on their face. Even if they see an angel, they fall on their face. And then the angel has to tell them, Look, hey, 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 yee. We don't do that here. There's only one that we bow down to, so don't do that. And that's a good uh, representation even on earth because sometimes we can worship people way more than we should. And so we have to be careful of that, that big name preacher. Now, that, that, that does not mean that you don't show respect for the authority of preachers and the ministry that they're doing and things like that. There is respect. There is even gratitude. But when you start putting the word of a person over the word of God, do you got, you're going to run into a problem. Not only for yourself, but you're going to run into a problem for that person. Because God says, I shall have no other gods before me. So please don't ever do, don't, don't put me in a, in a pedestal spot and say, well, thus saith Seku. Because I don't want to end up like Dagon. <laughs> but you can worship people in ministry and run yourself into severe disappointment. And, and we need a reality check that there's only one that we worship. I submit to Kevin as our worship leader. I submit to Kevin as far as what he does and all the, the, there's a whole bunch of stuff he does. I can't even list it. I submit to Deb, but I won't worship them. I'm grateful for knowing them. I will submit to the authority of them in the areas that they're in, but I am not going to put them in the place of God. Never. And if you have a loved one, you should never put them in the place of God. 
thou shalt serve the Lord in him only. There should only be one God in our life, and that is God Almighty. So when, the, when Isaiah gets this, um, it doesn't show exactly his first reaction, like his eyes. I would love to see that, you know. You're sitting there mourning the king, and next thing you know, it's like, whoa. I would love to see that. You do see his reaction a little bit later on. And, and, and it's justified because he's in the throne room of God. He's mourning. A king has died. But he's taken it to one of the most awesome places that many people can't go to. And he sees seraphim. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, seraphim and cherubim and melachim are different. And I don't want to go into angelology or whatever we call it in our highfalutin circles. But seraphim um, have a purpose. And seraphim is plural. So when you see it in there, it's seraph is one, seraphim is plural. They're just directly transliterating Hebrew. Cherub is singular. Cherubim are plural. You see a lot of cherubim in roles of attacking and protecting and defending. To cherubim guard the way into the Garden of Eden. Seraphim, a lot of times, not that they can't attack, and I really wouldn't want any of them to attack unless you know I'm not on their side of being attacked. But seraphim, a lot of times, are proclaiming, and they're no joke. They are no joke. And they're sitting around God's throne. And this isn't, we just walked in and just saw how awesome God was. And this ought to be a, a telling reminder for each and every one of us when we come into worship. We, and, and we worship awesomely. Don't get me wrong. We praise God and we worship awesomely. And then we go on about our lives. And then we come in and sometimes we're, we're, we're not feeling it. You know, we have that week and we're just like, man, I'm not feeling it. These guys are in the presence of God on a consistent basis. That's their job. And yet, the awesomeness of God that they witness on an eternity level still has them crying out, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts whose glory fills, or who, uh, uh, whose glory fills the earth. They cry this out on a daily basis if they had that sort of measurement of time. It doesn't get old. If you really think about that, that means that our idea of God gets old as we get a new revelation. Their revelation is consistent and it's still so powerful that they're still saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is their cry and it does not get old. And so for each and every one of us, when we look at Isaiah, and what I'm bringing out to begin with is that Isaiah, and he's not isolated, but Isaiah is our model for having a moment of overwhelming recognition of God, both his person and his presence. You say, well, we can recognize this person. We can recognize this person. I hope that you get this. There is a big difference between having an idea of God and then recognizing where God is in our lives. The whole point of this message, if you don't hear anything else, is that if we look at these pictures of how people were awestruck in the presence of God, it ought to be a lot more so for each and every one of us when we realize how pervasive God is in our lives. These seraphim cried to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. When they mention this, you would think that this statement does not really say a whole lot. But number one, holy, holy, holy means a tremendous amount because there is nobody else in scripture that gets that trifold declaration. Only God. You say, well, Jesus, only God. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Unless we want to go down that road. But it, 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 God is the only one that gets holy, holy, holy. Now, keep in mind, he says, be ye holy for I am holy. So as he has created us in his image, there is a holiness that he expects out of us. But when it says holy, 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 that ought to really make you consider, okay, why is it different with God? Why is it so emphasized with God? Because we say that. And you notice in scripture it doesn't say powerful, powerful God. Mighty, mighty, mighty God. It says holy, holy, holy. There is something about holiness that, that, that just reinforces how distinct, how unique, how miraculously separate from everything God is. And yet still is influential and part of everything that goes on in creation. But you can't say, well, there's another God like God. There's something else like God. God is distinct all by himself. And there is nothing that is comparable to our Father. When they say holy, 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 that's a recognition of his sacredness, his separateness from everything, and his unspoiledness from the pollutions of failure, sin, faults, or any other such thing that would discredit and discourage the rest of us. The word kadosh, and we were singing it earlier. They were trying to figure out what I was singing. Kadosh means sacred. Uh, and there are several things that be, can, can be considered kadosh or sacred. The Greek word hagios is where we get the word saint from. And Hagios actually comes from Hag in Hebrew, which does not mean pig. It means festival. It means a separate set-aside festival. So there are, uh, matter of fact, when you call yourself a saint, that means a holy one. But our holiness is a little different than God's because we are in a form of progressive holiness. We are, we are declared holy at the point of salvation as we are set aside for God. But as we start walking out through life, we realize there are things we need to separate ourselves from or be separated from as we get closer to God. So you say, well, you know, righteousness and all. righteousness is given to you. And that means that the slate is clean against you. That is more of a judicial term. Sanctification and holiness is how much you are taking away the spots of the world so that you can be as close to the image of God as he created you to be. That means removing things that is more than just sin. It's things that take you away from God. It's things that don't add up to the image that God created you to be. It's things that don't line up with who you are. Some people say, well, you know, God created me grumpy. Sanctification is going to take that grumpiness out of you. Because if you're created in his image, then when did he create, when, when does he show grumpiness? Especially towards his church, towards his loved ones. 
When does he show grumpiness? So if we're going to be holy as he is holy, that means that some attitudes change, some habits change, some words that we say changes, some things that we do changes. And right now it's tough to see that because we are so used to that, but we start realizing, wait a minute, all of these things that God is telling me to leave alone really are things that diminish who I am. And I don't know any better. I think I got to be the tough guy because that's how I grew up on the mean streets of Philly. I was a tough guy until I got beat up on a basketball court. That's Will Smith. Uh, <laughs> but you feel like you have to grow up and just be that tough guy. And then when you become bigger than everybody else, in your mind, you still got to be the tough guy. And then when you come to church, you're like, well, you know, being tough guy is who I am. So I'm going to justify it and say, well, I'm just showing tough love. There's a difference between being tough and having tough love and being a bully and justifying it with being tough love. There's a difference between speaking the truth in love and actually humbling yourself underneath another person to push them up while you're speaking the truth. Then, oh, that's just how I am. I just say whatever I say. And so you open up your mouth to speak the truth so that people leave you alone because you know that it's going to be blunt and it's going to offend them. That's not what God called us to do. So all of these things, he starts sanctifying and separating us away from those things so that as we stand and show off the glory that he has put on the inside of us, people say, there go God's people. It comes from a word uh, to, to be clean. To be clean. So think of all the things that soil your thoughts, your character, your person, the things that you don't want to admit to someone else, but you know in your mind, oh, I should not be acting like this. Those are the things that God is sanctifying you from. And don't get discouraged. That's a daily walk. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, uh, Yahweh Tzveot, which means the Lord of, of basically a host of armies or many. This is God at his, um, I am just... I don't know what the word is. For the y'all um, uh, Dragon Ball Z people, I guess, that ultimate form where you turn into something that's like three stories tall. Can't stand that show. It's just like one solid cartoon fight for like nine episodes. But they always have this form that they're trying to change into. So they start in their little pipsqueaks when they're fighting. But then one gets mad and he turns into something bigger and another gets mad and he turns into something bigger. Well, this is God basically saying... Hmm. And they recognize that. And then it turns around and says the whole earth is full of his glory. And a lot of what you see in scripture is God saying there's more to what's going on than you realize. But let's focus on you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens, plural. That's very wide open. We're talking about cosmos. We're talking about all sorts of things that are going on. And then he goes, we're going to focus right on this ball of dirt and we're going to shape that and then we think well that's all there is just God and heavens and then this ball of dirt like it's the center of the universe there is so much stuff going on in a spiritual sense as well as what God created but he says the first thing you need to focus on is our relationship Real tough. our relationship 
So let's start with you. And let's start where things got offhand. And let's start where things got redeemed. And then let's focus on where you're ultimately supposed to go. And then eventually when we get this thing together, you'll start seeing that there's a lot more things that are watching you than you realize. The Bible says that the angels ask questions. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Which means that the angels are looking at this whole process going on with us and God and going, I just don't get it. I, I don't, I, what's the deal, God? You, can, you made them lower than us, but yet you do all this stuff for them. Amen. Well, just wait and you'll see. Amen. <laughs> just wait and you'll see. But he doesn't show us a lot of that at times because we'll get the big head or we'll get um, performance anxiety and, you know, well, I, I can't, I can't be, there's, I don't know what's watching me. You know, I don't know if they know if I'm in the store trying to buy gloves like, like John did. Still don't know how you did that. You just don't know, so you just shut down. God says, no, let's just focus on us. They'll see what they see. Let's just focus on us. So then it goes into the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth. When I read that this morning, I had been thinking about this for a couple days, but I read it this morning. I looked at the clock. It was like 11 something. I had missed my lunch appointment or didn't miss. I needed to stay and meditate. And so instead of just sitting at my desk going, you know what? Let me meditate on this. The guy's like, go outside. Go out in this backyard that is very nicely done, Mike. Go out in this backyard and then think about what you just read. Okay, we get up, dog just looks at me and still lays in her spot. I get up, I go outside. There's grass, there's oleanders. I think they're oleanders. I'm not sure what they are. There's a little hibiscus that's waiting to get in the ground and a couple other plants and there's birds flying around. Dirt, rocks, and a shed, and a building, and a fence. And then I start seeing the distinction. I'm just looking at it. Everything God created has a harmony within itself. Yes. And that harmony was destroyed by sin. But the earth still, earth, we're not talking about the world, we're talking about the earth, has a way of balancing itself out. And when you look at that and you look at how all these things work together and all these things that God created just are marvelous in how, sometimes vicious, but marvelous in how this whole thing networks and I'm just going, wow. And then you see a fence jut up out the dirt, houses jut up out the dirt. And then you get to see the contrast of what man did in a world system and all of their intelligence, but it's disruptive. And so all of the things that we geniusly create, air conditioners, uh, canal systems, and all these things, is to basically fix our disruption to the natural system. And God says, if you just you know, leave it alone, everything would work just fine. The whole earth is full of his glory. None of our works could ever touch what God has done and we overlook it on a consistent basis. When we want to get peace in our lives, we don't run into downtown Phoenix. We drive out to the lake or the woods or somewhere where it's just nature. Why? Because it's more peaceful to be around what God created than to run around in all of the showing off that man has created and called itself buildings and, 
you know, all these other different things. When we want peace and tranquility, we get away from man's works and we run to God's. Which is basically still confirming the whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. We may not have that in mind, but something deep down on the inside of us is so aware of that. I heard somebody today talking about being thirsty, that, that, that desire for, you know what, I need to get something to drink because it fulfills me and not Kool-Aid or whatever or, or vodka, but water. There's a desire on the inside of us to connect with the works of God, even though we don't want to call it that, that when we feel upset and all these things going on, we go look for something that God did. Miracle how that brings us peace. Then it goes on to bring in talking about his majesty and his authority and all of these things that God uh, uh, brings to the table, power and all these things. But the first thing it starts with acknowledging is his holiness. His holiness. The second thing it brought up was an unfortunate thing for Isaiah. Isaiah said, so I said, woe is me for I am done undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. When you are in the presence of God, I mean, you realize you're in the presence of God. That light exposes all the ugly, whether you want it to or not. I have this light in the back bathroom, in the guest bathroom or whatever you want to call it. I, I got the bright idea, no pun intended, to stick these ridiculously bright daylight lights in there because the house is so dark. Right above the mirror. So now if I go in that bathroom, you know, I turn that light on, it's just a boom, clean lights. It's just every, every single pore, every single wrinkle, gray hair, everything you don't want to see is highlighted by those lights. So now when I go in, I, turn, I don't even look at the mirror. <laughs> I know better. I keep going in there going, I should turn these stupid lights off. I need to trade them out. Whose idea was this? That light just exposes the things you want to gloss over or cover up or not want to see. It just shows all the ugly. If we realized that we were in the presence of God, we would feel exposed. When Adam messed up, they realized that they were naked. When they heard God, they ran because they felt exposed. And they were exposed. But they were exposed maliciously by the adversary when God exposes us it's to show us what he desires to rid us of it's not to say Chris you've been a naughty boy it's to say Chris this is not who you're supposed to be this is in the way Isaiah saw that he was a man of unclean lips he dwelt in the midst of unclean people his eyes had seen the king the lord of hosts he recognizes a sin problem. A sin problem. Because if God is holy and I am sold unto sin, the two don't communicate very well. So he was blessed and graced to be brought into the presence of God, but he recognized that he should not be there. Because he is full of sin. He is around sin. It's just part of his life. 
And so while he would love to enjoy the moment and recognize God, he recognizes he should not be there. And an angel comes and brings a remedy to his problem. You say, well, sin, well, what if I'm not sinning? What if I've had a very good week and I come to church or I come to a gathering? There's more than just the acts of sin. There is the inheritance of sin. The acts of sin is I go over here and I slap James. That's a violent act. I have sinned against my, I'm not, not going to do that. That's a violent act. The inheritance of sin is the fact that raise your hand in this room if you feel like you were born in the way God created you to be born before the fall of Adam. None of us. None of us. Because Adam did not have children until after the fall. You can only beget your own kind. So a fallen Adam can't beget unfallen children. We're all born missing the mark because none of us are born walking in the body and in the way that God created us originally designed for us to be. So you think sin is just being bad. Sin means to miss the mark. So he realizes he is off course. And if we really looked at it, we would realize that we are off course. There is a scripture, Hebrews 4, 4. I know what we got to move along and we probably won't get through this. There is a scripture, Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Well, what if I'm dealing with this? Hold fast your confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, because we know who's there at the throne, come before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You don't run from God when you have a sin problem. You run to God when you have a sin problem. I could probably stop right there, and that should be enough even, even, because what is our habit? We sin. I got into an argument with Mark. I called him some ugly names, ugly names, and, and I just feel horrible. So instead of going to pray, instead of going to make it right, instead of going to church, I'm going to go crawl under a rock and bemoan how a miserable, wretched dog I am for just treating him that way. Or maybe he even deserved You know what? He deserved it. He had it coming. Yeah, you got everything you deserve. You know what? And I bet you won't do it again. And so we feel now in some way that now we're right for doing it, but we still won't go to God because we know ultimately we were wrong for doing it. Is that a little too close to home? And so we do something we know is against the will of God, and we go run like Adam did in the garden. Instead of saying, you know what? I need mercy and I need to find grace, and there's only one place for me to get it. So I will go before the throne of God boldly, not arrogantly, but boldly, because that's where I get the help and the mercy from my dastardly side that desperately needs to be executed. I run to God. Sometimes it takes me a little longer to turn around and run, but I run to God. Because the training that we got from the adversary is to sin and run away. Sin and run away. You mess up, 
God says, come to me and find grace and mercy in the time of need. Isaiah's grace and mercy was in the form of a rock being placed on his tongue. Doesn't sound like it's very fun, but it was a rock being placed to remove the iniquity, and now he felt like he could stand in the presence of God. You say, well, why is this important for us? Let me fast forward, because we do need to go over this. What are we? Turn to second, uh, First Corinthians. Yeah, Eric, I know. Eric's like, wait a minute. <laughs> First Corinthians, chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. It reads blatantly, Paul's comment to the Corinthians: Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You can't go, most of us won't go into the heavenly temple unless God gives us a revelation or graduates us. Most of us can't go into the physical temple because it no longer exists. But God has a temple on earth that is called his church in which he fills us individually and corporately with his spirit, which means if Isaiah would recognize the majesty and might of God in heaven and recognize that God is there and he shouldn't be there, how much more so should we not be aware uh, or be aware of the very same fact when God resides in us, both as individuals and when we come together as a church. That changes the very nature of how we approach God, how we serve God, and definitely when we are in those moments where we recognize God is among us, how it changes our attitude because now we look at, wait, ooh, ooh, ooh. this isn't just say who feel good, this is the music's great time, God's here. Do you know what happened in Scripture when God showed up in Second uh, Chronicles when they dedicated the temple? Before even the fire fell in the first sacrifice, the priests were there worshiping with one voice. Trumpets, Eric, because we, we need our trumpet player. Trumpets, instruments, choirs, all of this stuff going on, but they did it as one voice, and when they did... God's glory filled the temple so much that the priest could not even continue to minister. Would to God that we live with the mentality that once God shows up, we get out the way. Because they were, all, they were literally on their knees. They couldn't do anything. What does that look like in our life? That God is so mightily moving in our lives that none of our actions are going, let's help God. Let's do this. God, let me, now that you did that, let me show you how to really preach. Uh-uh. Nope. Let me get out the way. God, here's the vessel. I will follow your lead. We get low and we raise God higher. You say, aren't we doing that? Well, let me ask a question. Do we really have in mind in these kind of settings that God is truly here with us. I'm not saying that to our shame. I'm not saying that to be a, a rebuke. But do we really think about that? When, I, when we go to church, do we go, I'm going to meet God. 
well, God's all around us. And that's part of the problem is because we think of God as so common. He's everywhere. And so when we go to church, it's like, well, it's just us. But where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. So when we recognize that God is in the building, what is our mentality? What is our mentality? Do we recognize his holiness? Or do we just think of it as another event? It was just great to be there. Again, I'm not attacking anybody, but just reminding us of the awesome privilege that we have that as we come together and glorify God and worship God, his temple isn't some remote location. His temple is right here. Do you believe in God? Great. The devils acknowledge him and tremble. But the devils are trembling because they recognize where God is working. We got God working on the inside of us, and sometimes we don't even recognize it. You say, well, why are we preaching like this? What, what is the point of your sermon? To start recognizing that instead of looking at Moses' temple or Solomon's temple or has, uh, the Zerubbabel's temple or where the temple should be or even the heavenly temple, to realize that when we get together, even if you don't see a physical representation of God being present, you have the knowledge that God is present, whether you feel it or not, and you start recognizing when we come together, I need to watch how I come into God's presence. You know, it's funny, and I'll, I'll, I need to move on, so I will close in a little bit, but think about this. How many people at your job know that you're a Christian? Just think about this. When they find out that you're a Christian, they start watching what they say around you. They start watching what they watch around you. Even if they're not Christian, they're going, I don't want to mess around with that. Isn't it funny how non-believers see something on the inside of a Christian and start changing the way they walk around that person and the Christians don't? We take one another for granted. We take one another as common. But we have a holy, holy, holy Lord of hosts whose spirit dwells on the inside of us and makes us one gigantic temple, if we recognize that in our daily walk, it would change some of the things that we take the temple into or what we allow into the temple. These are things to think about because we are living in a season when the apparentness and the glory of God is taken so lightly by the people that are around us. But it's up to us to lift up that banner and to show that, no, I could tell you about a great God because not only did he save me, he dwells in me. And I recognize the weight that I carry and live accordingly to it or am learning to live accordingly to it. For those of us that wish that we had some sort of temple experience, you live one every single day. You are the temple of God. Well, why is that important for others? Turn back to Isaiah. I will end on this note. I'm sitting right there the whole time. 
Isaiah 6, 8. After Isaiah is taken up into the temple, after he has shown wondrous things, after he realizes he shouldn't be there because of his unclean state, after God fixes that, after he enjoys fellowship with God, having been restored to a point where he can be there. Verse 8. Also, I heard a voice, or I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. After Isaiah got his issue fixed, after Isaiah got his problem taken care of. He was in a position of confidence to where now he could say, you know what, Lord, I will go. Whenever we have an encounter with God, from that encounter is how we go out and bless other people. But it starts with us being in God's presence and having an encounter with him first to spend time with God, issues or not. And when that relationship, uh, uh, from that relationship, now he says, I got a job for you to do. I need you to go out and witness to this person. I need you to go play bass, and I want you to dance and revel to your heart's content. I need you to play the drums. You've got to turn it down a little bit. But no. <laughs> But you, you spend time with God, and then he sends you out. And, it's, and, and it does, it's not sending you out so that you go out and go, okay, well, God sent me on this mission. When Moses left the presence of God, he had so much radiance going on with his face that the people were like, bro, put a cover over that. Cover that up. It's too much. Because he's taking the very presence that he was in out among the people. There are some people who need the presence that we get a little stingy with in order to be a blessing for them, in order to show them the light, in order to show them hope. We get discouraged because we recognize the package that it's in, but God has already taken care of the package, and now he's sending you out as a gift. I had a moment of prayer. Um, I know I said I'm closing. I'm going to close it. <laughs> I had a moment of prayer this morning and, and felt like I got slapped upside the head. I have this sort of prayer that I do every time I get ready for church. I'm like, Lord, and, I, and certain things that I do, and it's, you know, please do this and please do that. And then and in, in the middle of it, it was, why do you keep asking for things that were already done? Why do you keep coming to me ritualistically asking me for things that are already done? Why don't you start affirming that it has been done? Say, Lord, line me up to your finished work and then start walking knowing that God has already worked it out in your life. You say, well, come on now. Am I supposed to ask forgiveness? You've been forgiven. When you confess sin, you recognize, Lord, you have forgiven me and you've covered me in this area. Help me not to go down that road. I recognize this action is not according to your will when you look at lord have you prepared me for whatever moment that you're going to he has already set you up for that instead of asking him lord prepare me you're asking him lord help me walk in the preparedness the equipping the 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 calling that you have already poured on my life and i said yes lord i need to start doing that we think we have to get ready in order to go out 
and do God's will. Preparation's a part of it. But if God has already ordained for you to do something, sometimes it's time for you to get up and start walking. Because people are waiting. The richness that you and I have of being able to not just go into God's presence, but carry God's presence, is not just for us to go, hmm, I got him. It's just me and him. It's for me to go out and say, let me bring you into this relationship. Let me bless you from this relationship. Let me love you from this relationship. Let me share with you from this relationship. Oh, there's a need? Let me help you meet the need from this relationship. Let me be a blessing to you that God has already poured out in me. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I suggest you read Psalm 133 and read how it doesn't just stop at the point of anointing. It doesn't just stop when, when Aaron gets the oil poured out. It doesn't just stop on his head. It goes past his beard. It goes all the way down to the hem of his garment. It starts spreading out into the ground around it. Stop hogging the blessing and the privilege that you have and start letting out what God has put on the inside of you so it can bless the people around you that he has placed you around. They don't want to hear about the world. They don't want to hear about Nine Inch Nails, the Cardinals game, and all this other stuff. They want to hear about eternal life and hope and love and a mighty, majestic God who is above all but takes time not only to look into our lives, but takes time to set up a system all on his own to fix where we went wrong and all we have to do is accept it by faith. How can we be stingy? Because we choose not to recognize what God has done on the inside of us. Learn and recognize those moments when you see God's presence in your life. And then don't just hold on to that. Be a blessing as God has blessed you. Walk in the confidence of the authority as you have met with the king. Walk in the freedom that he has given you when he says this coal has touched your lips. This blood has covered your life. Stop relying on your old habits and your old ways. Stop clinging on to your past and claiming who you were as who you are and start walking in the newness of life and claiming the newness of life and see, don't you start walking accordingly with what you've already been given from the Father with no effort from us and just nothing but his love for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you that as you are here among us and you are here with us, Lord, help us first and foremost to acknowledge and recognize you in your holiness as well as your majesty and in your power and to not take your glory lightly. And as we learn to recognize you in all things, as we learn to receive from you and, and to stand in fellowship with you, help us to turn around and take from that fellowship and be a blessing a liberator, a deliverer, a warrior, an intercessor for others who have yet to learn of who you are. 
Lord, let us not hold on to the riches that you have given us and stash it away in a barn. But help us, Lord, to share abundantly as you have given to us abundantly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand? Obviously, we cut a lot out. <laughs> but I urge you to go and really ponder, consider, ponder, consider, meditate on the fact that you are a temple. Don't just gloss over that. Just, yeah, I'm a temple. Great. Meditate on what that means and what that meant for physical temples, what that meant for the heavenly temple, and then turn around and say, now I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. And then to really let that sit with you. Not just the, oh my goodness, I'm unclean lips and unclean thoughts and all that. Yeah, we get that. God will deal with that. But also, wow, not only the privilege, not only the wonderful fellowship, but also the responsibility. Because like that scripture said, if anyone defiles a temple, that wasn't saying anyone outside, that's anyone who defiles a temple, including the temple. So we want to remove the things that defile because we understand that we have a greater weight than our earthly passions and our earthly desires and all these other things. No, God has chosen to live in us and we want to be that sanctified vessel that carries ourselves in a way with, in accordance to the knowledge that we carry the presence of God. I know this might be a little heavy, but that's what glory is. <laughs> Would you lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen. God bless you.